0: All right, so we are in this series. Uh, it's up on the board here already, not yet. Um, this is a series that has taken us through, uh, Romans, uh, chapter five through eight. Now, last week we took a break. If you were here last week, uh, Dr. Jim Ayers was here as the elders were away. Uh, we were not, uh, out playing. We were doing a lot of work and, uh, I will let Adam explain some of that to you in the coming weeks, but I will say that we had a tremendous retreat. Uh, we are blessed here with a great leadership team. I am blessed to be a be a part of it. And uh, so I would just say thank you to you as a congregation for letting us get away for a weekend uh, to do some work that we desperately needed to do. So we're jumping back into this series uh, in Romans chapter five. And it's basically, if you haven't been here, it's a look at how if as Christians, as those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We've been called co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. And yet we still are on this earth. We still struggle with sin. There are things that we still fight day in and day out to get over or get through. And so there's this tension that exists there because we are adopted as sons and yet we're still waiting for something. This morning we're going to focus on the topic of hope. And I think that I am the perfect person to talk about hope this morning, and here's why. Um, I have been an Eagles fan my entire life. Since the time, as far as I can remember, I will turn 32 in about a week and a half. And for 32 years, every single season is based on nothing more than hope. So we will go through it again this September. September. So anyway, if you could, with me, turn, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you're new to the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, you look at the New Testament, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans follows that. We're going to be looking at the passages of uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 27. verse 24 for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who who hopes for what he already has but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will I want to start this morning by asking a question of all of us. What is the one thing in life that if you were to lose it, you don't know how you could go on? What is the one thing that if you were to lose it, you don't know how life could go on? For me, this question is very easy to answer because I think of something that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, my dear wife, Aaron, we will be married uh, in July, it will be 11 years. And if, as I think about this question, the one thing that I would say is if I were to lose Aaron, I don't know what would, what would happen in my life. I don't know how I could go on. And I say that because I can say that with confidence because throughout our almost 11 years of marriage now, uh, there have been several times where Aaron will go out with friends or her family, her sister, something like that. And she'll be out and she'll say, you know, oh, I should be home by ten thirty, eleven o'clock and I'll be at home with the kids by myself and that time will come that 10.30 or 11 o'clock and she's not there yet. And, you know, I'll try to call her uh, because I just want to make sure that she's okay and she won't answer. Now, I'm not like, I've heard some guys say this, I'm not that guy that's like, well, no, I pay for your cell phone. You should answer it. You know, that's that's not me. That's not me. I I just, I start to worry. And I'm not typically a worrier, but this is an area of my life where, where I start to worry. And I realize, like, it could, you know, it could just be that she, you know, as a mother of four, it could be that her phone has, like, been lost in the purse, the abyss that is a mother's purse. You know, it's just... Things just get lost in there. It, it could be that um, her cell phone battery dies. But my mind goes to this place where, like, oh, what if she's been in an accident? What if what if she's been abducted? What if, what if, what if? What if? And I'm not too um, too proud to admit this. But at times when I play that scenario out, you know, my eyes will well up with tears. And, and I, I really have to convince myself that nothing's okay. Nothing's happened. I have to counsel myself through that. Luckily, it's only been a few times, but um, that's one of the ways that I know that if I were to lose her, that I don't know how life would go on. But for you, maybe the answer is different. Maybe you're not married. Uh, Maybe the situation is different. Maybe it's your health. Maybe if your health were to go, that you don't know how life would go on. Maybe it's the ability to walk. Maybe it's your children. If you lost your children, you don't know how you could continue going. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the freedoms of the United States of America and the country that I have grown up to love and know. And what if those things are taken away from us? How will life go on? I want to ask a different question then out of that that follows that up. Is it possible that we are placing too much hope in these things? Because I would say that it is perfectly healthy and normal for me to have a desire to want to grow old with Aaron. It's normal for us to want to see our kids outlive us. It's normal for us to want to keep our job and thrive in our job. It's normal for us to want to see the United States prosper that, so that many generations to, to follow us can prosper. Those are all normal things. But I think we have to keep those in perspective. And here's what I do with those things. I, I place them in a, a particular category. And now I have four small kids at home, so you'll have to forgive me because I realize this isn't exactly the language that we would use. But I, I place it in a category called hope with a little h. Or if you're in English major, you could say lowercase h if that makes you feel better. But hope with a little h because here's why. Even as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have not been promised those things. God has not promised me that Aaron and I will grow old together or that my children will outlive me or even that my health will stay with me. It's interesting in this passage in Romans chapter 8, Paul even references that he is in the midst of suffering. They are in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of that he's speaking of hope. So I want to look at this passage a little closer. So look at verse 24. It says, For in this hope we were saved. Okay, now right here it's important because he's talking about a hope that he's already referenced. So we have to look back and to understand the context of what he's saying. And verse 23 gives us this context. Verse 23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, what Paul is placing his hope in is in Jesus Christ that there is going to come a time where we will be redeemed, the physical redemption of our bodies. He's drawing a difference here between what has happened in Romans 8.15, where he says we have already been adopted, and now he's saying we eagerly await for the day, and I would say it this way, that we are called home, that God calls us home. So we have to understand that there is a difference between the hope that Paul is referring to and the hope that I referenced in the beginning, the hope of having our health throughout our life, or the hope of... uh, staying in a a strong and healthy marriage. Um, So I want to look at this, this promise a little closer because it's important that we lay the groundwork here of the promise that Jesus has made and make sure that we understand it. So in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and here's what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here's what Jesus is saying. This promise was to the disciples and it's to us today. He was saying, I have gone to prepare this kingdom for you. I've gone to prepare it. And what the promise that he makes at the end of that statement is he says, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That is the hope that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. And it's the hope that he is waiting eagerly and at the same time patiently for. Jesus goes on. In later in that same passage, he says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. Here's the promise that Jesus makes. He says, I will not leave you on this earth as orphans. But I will come back for you. And so that you know I will come back, I'm going to send you a counselor. The counselor is the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And it gives us this assurance of this promise. This is a promise that I would say I would put in the category of hope with a big H. Hope with a big H. And here's why. The one that has made the promise has the ability to see it become a reality. We are putting our hope in the integrity of the one who has made the promise. Let me say that again. We are putting our hope in the integrity of the one who has made the promise. Jesus Christ, as Scripture lays out, as the Bible tells us, has all things... In his hands, he holds all things in his hands. He is powerful and nothing is impossible for him. So when Jesus makes a promise like I am coming back for you and I will not leave you as orphans, we can take that to the bank because it will come true. You see, there's a lot of people in our world today that make a lot of promises. Promises that give us hope for something, but they don't have the ability to make those promises a reality, even as hard as they try. I'm going to give you an example of this. And before I do this, I'm going to, I need to let you know, I am not making any kind of political statement up here. I I'm the wrong person to talk to. If you want to talk about politics, you don't want to see me. You'd want to talk to my father or maybe Gerald down here. But I am not somebody that stays up on politics. But uh, neither am I trying to bash anybody. But all of us know that in 2008, uh, our our dear President Barack Obama made a lot of promises. It's actually interesting. Uh, Pastor Adam was out this week and uh, he found something that he thought would be appropriate for my message. Now I know not all of you can see this. This is a greeting card. Okay, it's by. Uh, it's not a Hallmark card, but it's. It says on the here hope. Okay, in 2008, Barack Obama made a lot of promises about hope, and I just want to play a couple of them for you. Hopefully, you can hear them. H to the- Like a hurricane, you are the hope you've been hoping for. Okay, so you get the point. Now, I, th- I believe Gerald has a birthday that is coming up. So, you already had it. You missed it. I missed it. I'm sorry, but you may have that card, brother. <laughs> Do whatever you like with that. If you don't know, Gerald is one of our elders here. Um, so, anyway, we all know this. This tagline that that barack used was he had this message of hope and hope and change and all these things now i'm not here to question his intentions i think that he probably did want to bring change to the united states and the the hard part about this is he does not have the ability within himself to bring about the changes that he thinks or he promised us he could bring here's why He has a house of representatives to deal with. He has a Senate to deal with. He has foreign world leaders to deal with. He has natural disasters to deal with. All of these things are outside the realm of his control. So for him to make promises like that, he would have been better off to make statements that would have suggested this is what he would like to do. But he made statements that were very bold and said this is what is going to happen the change that is going to happen. And he hasn't been able to bring them to fruition to this point. I'll bring you another example. I am, I told you earlier, I'm an Eagles fan and this happens in sports all the time. You hear people make promises. Last year, uh, there was a guy that the Eagles went out and got, his name was Vince Young and they got him to be a backup quarterback. Let me note that a backup quarterback, which most backup quarterbacks in the NFL carry a clipboard and stand on the sidelines for the whole season. They don't affect the game at all. And when he, was, when he came on the team early in the season, he said, we're a dream team. This is, he, he made these promises like they were going to go somewhere, that they were going to win something. And poor guys like me, we put our hope in guys like that. And it doesn't happen. This week, Deshaun Jackson, one of the Eagles stars, signs a, a contract and then goes out and makes this guarantee of a Super Bowl. Deshaun Jackson could get hurt this spring and miss the entire season. And yet he makes these promises. I think our world, our culture understands that many of the things that we place our hope in, they're feeble. We're not sure that they're going to happen. But we place our hope in them Anyway. And our culture lives in constant fear because there's no promise that tomorrow is going to happen. There's no promise that I will have my health tomorrow. There's no promise that my 401k is going to be tomorrow what it is today. And our culture sees it, but they don't know what to do with it. But we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a solid rock, a foundation on which to place our hope that is different than the world. Paul goes further with this, and I want to show you a verse in Romans chapter 15. And this is going to start to bring in what he has talked about with the Holy Spirit later in Romans uh, chapter 8 there. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us hope through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have a hope that cannot be shaken because of that. You see, God didn't just, Jesus didn't just make this promise and then leave us here. What did he say? John chapter 14, he said, I will send the counselor, the Holy Spirit to be in you, to remind you of this thing that is to come, this redemption of your bodies for when I am coming. So he didn't just leave us here without anything to base our hope on. This is what Paul says later in a a different book in the book of Ephesians. He says, and you also, speaking to Christians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Do you see what that is saying there? (laughs) What Paul is saying is, You've been marked, when you were a Christian, you've been marked with the the seal. God's seal has been placed on you, the Holy Spirit. It is a deposit guaranteeing his return. If you go to a store and you lay down a deposit and you walk away and you say, I'm going to come back and pay for the rest of that later, well, you're not going to walk away from your deposit, at least... Usually we don't unless some extreme circumstance happens. What God is saying here is that he has given us a deposit to guarantee what is to come. And so we have a rock in which to place our faith. Now I want to talk about the the Holy Spirit a little bit this morning. Because Paul references them, and we're going to look at that a little closer in a minute. But the Holy Spirit is something that is very... um, it's important that we understand as believers what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit brings about something that is unlike anything in this world. And especially in this area of hope. I'll give you an example out of scripture. Uh, there's this guy named Stephen in the book of Acts. He's in, he came right after the time of Jesus. He's part of the early church. And Stephen was bold about his faith in Jesus Christ. And at that time in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders did not like followers of Jesus. Okay, They had just crucified Jesus. They're trying to get rid of all of the followers of Jesus. So Stephen, as this bold representative of Christ, becomes a target. And so the Jewish leaders of that day, they get upset with Stephen, and so they say, we're going to make some false accusations against Stephen so that he... Ultimately, we have a trial to, and we have charges to bring against him because they didn't have any charges, so they had to make them up. And so Stephen goes before the, the Jewish leading council at that day, the rulers of that, di- of that time, and he has to make an account. And he speaks boldly about his faith, and he actually tells his accusers, listen, you, you killed all of the prophets of God, you killed Jesus, and you continue to do it. So he basically throws it back in their face. And when you do that to people that are, going to, to, that are already angry with you and have the ability to kill you, it's usually not a good sign. But he does it anyway. So we'll pick up the story here. This is uh, talking about Stephen. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit catch that, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Picture this. I mean, Stephen is in the midst of his greatest need in his life. I can't picture a time that you would would be in greater need than when you are standing before a circle of men holding rocks that want to kill you. And so there Stephen is. And He has this calm that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a peace that comes over Stephen so much so that he does not get angry at his persecutors. He even prays for them. God, do not hold this against them. When I put myself in Stephen's shoes, I have a hard time understanding how you can pray for somebody that is persecuting you in that way. And yet the Holy Spirit comes upon Stephen and that's exactly what he does. He prays for him, prays for them. Now I realize in this room, in this room, not one of us has called, has been called to be a martyr for our faith at this point. We haven't haven't followed Jesus to the point of shedding our own blood. But I want you to take your own context, where you are in life currently. And I want you to look at this this next passage in Romans chapter eight with me and, and plug your context into what this is saying. Romans chapter eight, verse twenty six. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I want you to understand something this morning. No matter where you are in life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ The Holy Spirit is interceding for you right now. You might be in a moment this morning where your marriage is falling apart. You might be at a time this morning where your health is fading. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're struggling to make ends meet. Whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, the Spirit is interceding. And what that means is that God's Holy Spirit is praying for you this morning in accordance with what, exactly what God's will is for your life. That's extremely comforting to me. That's extremely comforting to me to know that no matter what is going on in my life, the Holy Spirit is there and he's interceding and he's praying for me. There have, there have been very few times in my life, but I know that probably for some of you, uh, there's been probably more than a few times in your life where you don't even know how to pray anymore. You don't even know what to pray for. And if you're in that situation this morning, may I encourage you that the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he's interceding, he's praying for you, he's taking your needs before God the Father. I hope that that is comforting to you this morning. Because we have this hope in Jesus, because we have this hope in the integrity of the one who has promised us, that Jesus can bring all things to fruition, that he can bring it to reality. All of our hope needs to be in him completely and not in the feeble things of this world. Not that we can't have hope in some things, but ultimately what should happen in our lives is that our hope in Jesus needs to trump everything else. It needs to go beyond everything else. Now, if you're not from Lancaster County, uh, you might not, I might need to explain some of this to you. The word Trump there is not, uh, I'm not talking about Donald Trump, but if you've ever played the card game Rook, It has Trump, all right? My understanding is P-Knuckle does as well. I don't play P-Knuckle, but my understanding is that P-Knuckle... Does anybody play P-Knuckle? Does that have Trump in it? Okay, thanks, Tom. So there's card games that have Trump. If you've ever played a card game that has Trump, the cool thing about it is Trump beats everything else. If you have the Trump card in your hand, it beats everything else. I love to play Rook... And at the very end of the the last card that I have in my hand is a trump card. Because it does not matter what anyone else at the table has. When I have the last trump card, I win. I'm going to win that hand. Our faith in Jesus and our hope in Jesus should trump everything else in our life. No matter what your current situation is. Though it may not be something that you want to go through, and though it may be extremely painful, and though it may be something that you are struggling through, may your hope in Jesus trump everything else. One more thing I want to share with you as I close Jesus gives us this promise in Revelation 21. It says and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of god is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eye there will be no more pain no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true Bethany, may we hear this this morning and we catch it and understand it. And may we put our hope in what the promise is that Jesus has made us. He's made us this promise that we will be with him, that he will be our God. That when we one day are in glory with him, the redemption of our bodies, when Jesus comes back to call us home, we will be with God and he will wipe every tear from our eye. And we will be in a place where there is no more pain, no more mourning, no more hurt, no more death. This is what we put our hope in. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should look differently to the world Because the world continues to put hope in feeble things, things that they cannot guarantee will be there tomorrow. But we put our hope in something that is greater, the hope with a big H, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. This morning, I would ask you, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd ask you to just think, what what is my hope in? What am I placing my hope and faith in? And if you're a believer in Jesus, ask the same question. Am I placing all of my hope solely on the promise that Jesus has made? That I am going to one day be redeemed as his son or daughter. And I will one day inherit the kingdom that looks like this. That's a great hope. That's a great hope. Let me pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would forgive me for the times that I put my hope in things that are of this world. God, things that you have not made promises to me about, and yet I still struggle because I put my hope in them. God, I pray that you would help me to put my faith solely in you. Father, help us as a people to do that. Help us to understand what that means. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and recognize the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives as believers. God, may you fill this place with your Holy Spirit. May we be caught on fire, God, to share this hope with a world that is dying, with a world that has no hope. May we share the good news of this hope. In Jesus' name, amen.